So shalom to uh, this week's uh, lecture, When Judah Meets Joseph, Humble Prayers. So the secret of prayer is not the knowledge of mystical unifications in as much as it is all about humility. Prayer is about changing the will of God. As we say in our prayers, may it be your will. And um, simply speaking, uh, anything that happens to anyone is happening because it's the will of God. So if God forbid someone is sick, uh, presently so is the will of God. If um, some, someone is experiencing poverty, um, so is the will of God. So um, when we pray for someone who is sick to become better, we're praying for God to change his will for that person. When we're praying for someone who is poor to be rich, we're praying for God to change his, uh, his will. And how exactly are we finite beings to change the will of God? And the answer is that we don't deal with the will of God. We can't change the will of God from within the will of God. Rather, we need to go to the master of the will. And by connecting to the master of the will is where we're able to change the will of God that he who God will temporarily to be sick, God will now will to be well. Our sages explain that what is this power? How exactly does a finite human being connect to the master of the will, the essence of God? And the answer is that it's all through the novelty of humility. When a human being, an egocentric human being, and we're all egocentric, that's the way we're created to be, the most primal instinct is survival, I. When a person who's egocentric is able to smash his perception of self-reliance, is able to turn over his will to God, is able to completely turn to God in prayer by saying that you, God, are my sole source, of life, of every breath, of, of sustenance, that is the novelty of an egocentric human being experiencing selfless humility. Um, in the book of mysticism and the books of Hasidus, we actually explain that this is like the parable of a king who takes special delight in his talking parrot. Now, the king obviously is brilliant, and, uh, you know, what kind of conversation can the king have with the parrot? The parrot is mumbling words it doesn't understand, just repetition that it's learned. Um, wouldn't the king rather be having a conversation with his uh, brilliant advisors? And the answer is that it is the novelty the, of a talking parrot that creates the king's delight far greater than the the brilliant conversations and meaningful conversations that the king would be having with his ministers. So too, it is the human parrot who's, uh, you know, parroting all the words that were written in the uh, prayer book and all the secrets of prayer that were taught to him, which he does not perceive or understand, is far more delightful to God than that of the ministering angels who truly understand what they are speaking about when they sing the praise of God. So it's this delight of the talking human parrot 
the novelty of the egocentric human being saying that self-reliance has served me nothing. If I want to truly succeed, it is but the blessing of God that brings me success. This novelty causes a delight in the master of the will. And once the human being is connected and arousing delight in the master of the will, the human can then go ahead and change the will of God. And that's how we pray for he who is sick to become healthy, for he who is poor to be able to find sustenance, for he who is looking for a significant other, a soulmate, to be able to find their soulmate. So now we know that the secret of praying is all about the humility before God. Now, why is it a novelty not for the human and not for the angel? And the answer is because only a human has the evil inclination which drives him to live in the paradigm of his egocentrism, while the angels only have one inclination, only have one heart, which is only the transparency to God. So there's no novelty when an angel turns to God. There is a huge novelty when the egocentric human being turns to God. So now we're going to question, and that's the modern day issue, how does one experience the power of humility prayer? How does one step out of oneself and be able to humbly pray to God? This lecture is based on a mimer of the Rebbe, a blessed memory delivered on the Shabbos in 1965, in which the Rebbe explains the encounter between Judah, which represents prayer, Joseph, which represents Torah study on a mystical level, and then most importantly, the Rebbe sets forth its practical implications. So we're going to have a introduction, and uh, in the link I'm going to set the handout that I prepared. Here you have the handout. I'm going to read to you some things from the handout. So let's talk about prayer, first of all. Number one, there are two separate prayers. There are two separate commandments, I'm sorry. Commandment number one is to pray to God. I will read to you exactly how Maimonides defines this commandment. It is a positive commandment to pray every day. As the verse states, you shall serve God your Lord. The tradition tells us that this service is prayer, as it states, and serve him with all your heart. And our sages say, which is the service of the heart? Ezu Zuhi this is prayer. And then Maimonides goes on to explain. This commandment obligates each person to offer supplication and prayer every day and to utter praises of the Holy One, blessed be he, then petition for all his needs with requests and supplications, and finally give praise and thanks to God for the goodness that he has bestowed upon him, each one according to his own ability. So we have over here three parts of the biblical commandment of prayer. Number one, to utter praise. Number two, to ask for your needs. And number three, to have gratitude and say gratitude to God. So what you're hearing here is that the only part of prayer which is biblical, is the Amidah, otherly known as Shemona Esrei. So it used to have 18 blessings. That's why it's called Shemona Esrei. Later on, when there was an issue going on amongst the Jewish people, they added on a 19th prayer blessing, but it's still known as Shemona Esrei, the original 18 blessings. The Shemona Esrei slash Amidah is made up of three parts. The first three blessings are the praise part. 
the middle 13 blessings are the asking God for our needs. And the last three blessings, as you'll recognize the modim anachnuloch, we thankfully acknowledge is the gratitude. So the only biblical part of prayer is the Amidah. Now let's talk about another commandment, which is the commandment of reciting the Shema. Let me once again read to you from the book of Laws of Maimonides what a, precisely this commandment is. We are obligated to recite the Shema twice daily in the evening and in the morning, as the verse in Deuteronomy states, when you lie down and when you rise. Well, what does this mean? When people are accustomed to sleep, this being the night when they go to lie down, and when people are accustomed to rise, this being the morning, the daytime. So now you'll understand why we pray three times a day, but only the morning prayer and the evening prayer, not the afternoon mincha prayer, we say the Shema. Because the commandment is in the morning and in the evening, not in the afternoon. So just that you know, the Shema is made up of three portions. The first portion talks about accepting God as our king. The second portion talks about accepting his commandments. The third portion was added on because there is a commandment to always remember the exodus on a personal level. Mitzrayim, which is Egypt, stands for constraints. Going out of our limitations is what exodus is all about. And we remember that every single day. That was the birth of our nation, which led us to Mount Sinai. So now we understand that the Shema and the prayer has no legal connection between the two. There's a lot of mystical connections. They're two separate commandments. But in our prayer, we put it together, and we'll talk about why from a beautiful teaching of Rabbi Yochanan and how the Zohar explains it. But what I'd like to do right now is to go through the structure of prayer. Now, the page numbers that I'm going to tell you comes from, it correlates with the Siddur Tehillat Hashem with English translation, annotated edition, fifth printing from February 2006, published by Merkez Leone Chinuch. However, you will be able to find this in any prayer book. The structure is more or less always the same. The first thing we do when we begin the morning prayers in the synagogue is the verses of praise from pages 27 to 38. I do want to mention that the Ashkenazim, they go ahead and they open up the prayer with the blessing of Baruch Sha'amar, which means that we really start with the praises of verse, uh, verses of praises. Whoa. Now, Svardim, so too Chabad, which follows the Isaac Luria Kabbalistic format, the Svardic format of prayer. We will start with the saying the Hodu, and then we'll go into the verses of praise. But the first portion, generally speaking, is the verses of praise. Why? Because our sages said, you can't have your coffee, check out the stock market, and just go into prayer. You need to be in the proper frame of mind. So they put the verses of praise. Then the next part is the blessings of Shema and the Shema. In the Misnaic times, our sages, um, the times of the Holy Temple, they went and they said that the Shema is such an important declaration of God is our God, God is one. Love God with all your heart, follow his commandments, remember the Exodus. Thus, they put blessings pre the Shema and blessings post the Shema. In the morning, there's two before, one after. In the evening, there's two before and two after. So after the verses of praise, we go to the blessings of the Shema, the Shema, and the blessings of Shema. 
Um, you will recognize this from the synagogue when we're told, everyone please rise for the Baruchu. That Baruchu at Hashem, Hamvorach, that actually is the opening of the verses of praise. Svardim actually don't even send up a cantor until that part. Um, Svardim, everyone in the, in the uh, congregation, anyone at any time will just start saying one of the paragraphs of the verses of praise, and only by the Baruch Hu will they send up a chazan. Um, some Ashkenazim send up a chazan from the morning blessings. Um, Bless be God, um, thank you for opening my eyes, and so forth and so on. Chabad traditionally starts at the Hodu with a chazan. After the blessings of Shema, goes the Amidah, the mitzvah, the biblical mitzvah of prayer. And then I'm going to generally talk about the next part, which is post-Amidah, which is the Ashrei, because our sages say that anyone who recites the Ashrei three times a day goes to heaven. There's the Psalm of the day, the Song of the day, which the Levites used to sing in the Holy Temple. Then there's the incense, and then there's the famous Aleinu L'Shabeach L'Adon Akol. Our tradition tells us that when Joshua circled Jericho and was going to bring down the walls of Jericho, at that point, a parchment fell from heaven with the Aleinu. According to this tradition, the Aleinu was written in heaven and sent down, and that's how the priest with the chauffeurs and the holy ark circled Jericho, and the walls came down, and the Jews started conquering the land of Israel. Okay, so that is the structure of prayer. So what we're seeing over here is that there's two commandments, the commandment of the Shema and the blessings of the Shema, and the commandment of the, the prayer. Now, I want to share with you one more thing, and that is that in the blessings of the Shema, the blessing after the Shema, between the Shema and the Amidah prayer, is called the blessing of redemption, because it closes with, Baruch Atah Hashem, blessed are you God, blessed are you God, Goal Israel, who redeems, who delivers the Jewish people. So, that you know, how does this get into our Torah portion? Because according to Kabbalah, Joseph represents redemption. Joseph was the one that saved the Jewish people in times of hunger, slash Torah study. Judah represents humility and prayer, gratitude. You'll remember that Leah knew that there was four wives to Jacob. There was going to be 12 children, which means each wife would have three. When Leah had her fourth child, she said, and now I will great, uh, gratefully thank God, and therefore she, remember, she named him Yehuda from the word Hoda'ah, just like the word Modim. So Judah represents prayer, Joseph represents the blessing of redemption, also Torah study. Now we understand exactly the mystical insight of the opening of our Torah portion. The opening says, and Judah approached him. Judah approached Joseph. He didn't know Joseph was Joseph. Joseph was the king of Egypt. He wanted to take away from them Benjamin. Judah was the one that promised Jacob, I will bring back Benjamin. So therefore he approaches Joseph to stand up and fight for Benjamin's freedom. Now, we're taught that Rabbi Yochanan says, who inherits the world to come? The one who follows Geula, the blessing of redemption, immediately with tefillah. So now we see why our sages put together 
the Shema with the Amidah. Because who inherits the world to come? The one who follows the blessing of Geulah, which is the blessing of the Shema, immediately with the Tefillah. Comes along the Holy Zohar, and it says that the opening verse of our Torah portion this week, and Judah approached him, Joseph, is the concept we just mentioned in the Talmud, which is that the blessing of redemption, Joseph, is immediately followed by tefillah by the Amida. And now we understand the connection of everything we're going to talk about, prayer, with this week's Torah portion. One more introduction is necessary, and that is a teaching from the fifth Lubavitch Rebbe, Rab Sholem Dober of Lubavitch, and he says as follows, look into the Torah portion, what is the first words Judah tells Joseph when he approaches him? And what he tells him is, these words, be Adoni. Literally, the word be means in me, Adoni, my master, my Lord. So Judah approaches the viceroy of Egypt, Joseph, and says, be Adoni. What does that mean? That means that Judah slash prayer is telling Joseph slash redemption slash Torah study, be, pour into me your power empower me that I should be able to pray. And now we'll understand why right in between the blessing of redemption, i.e. Joseph, and the Amida, i.e. Judah, our sages slipped in a verse. And this verse represents what Judah said, be Adoni, empower me to be able to pray. Now let me read to you that verse. That verse comes from the book of Psalms, and it says as follows. O Lord, you shall open my lips and my mouth will recite your praise. And you've noticed I said Adnai, which is the incorrect pronunciation because we do not say God's name in vain. Now, let the lecture begin. These are the introductions. So now we're going to talk about the mystical concepts. We're going to list the mystical concepts of uh, this class, and then we'll wrap it up with the practical, how do we find within us to be able to pray to God humbly? Not desperation. Desperation and humble are two different things. Humbly pray to God. So here are the list of the mystical concepts we're going to talk. Number one, Torah, below, below, to no finish. Prayer, above, above, to no end. Which is higher, Torah study or prayer? And finally, when prayer is, my mouth will recite your praise. Okay, so what is this below, below, no finish, above, above, no end, to no end? So in Kabbalah, we define the infinite light with a description of two properties. Infinite, because it's above, above, to no finish, it's below, below, to no end. So when we talk about the below, below, to no end, we're talking about the infinite power of expression of the infinite will. What this is, is Torah study. Torah study is the wisdom and will of God, which is infinite and spiritual. And yet, because it is infinite, it can express itself infinitely until it manifests itself within the human mind. The human finite mind can perceive the infinite wisdom and will of God. How? 
because the infinite will has the infinite power of expressions until it can express itself all the way down to the finite human mind and it can actually manifest itself within finite human beings. For example, when the Torah, the infinite will of God, manifests itself into which species of animals are kosher and which species of animals are not kosher. That's, a, that's amazing. The infinite will of God is going to express itself in these finite details, whether the animal has split hooves or chews its cud. Or let's talk about civil law. The infinite wisdom of the Torah in its civil law is actually going to manifest itself in the deceitful mind of an egocentric human thief. So you should know that if the person says this and this, and he says that there's something called a migui, that if I wanted a lie, I could have said a bigger lie, the infinite pure wisdom of God is going to manifest itself into the deceitful finite human mind. That is what it means when we say the infinite light is below below to no finish. It will manifest itself all the way down to the bottom. That is what we mean when we talk about the infinite light being below below to no finish. What does it mean concerning the service of the human being? So the below below to no finish, above the above to no end, represents two types of human service to God. One is the service from below to above, and one is from above to below. When we talk about the power of Torah study, it's from above to below. Torah is the word of God that came down from heaven onto Mount Sinai into our minds. So therefore, when we talk about the study of Torah, we are serving God in the direction of from above below. My job is to open my mind, studiously study and tediously understand all the details of the Torah. So the below is opening up to observe and, and to be able to internalize, fully perceive and understand what comes from above. The service from, below, from above to below, and thus this is the part of the infinite light, which is below below to no finish. Okay? Now, another thing to understand is that in Torah study, the human being has to recognize self. In other words, if I approach Torah study by saying, ah, I'm so stupid, I'll never understand this, boom, a prophecy. However, if I'm able to say, okay, God gave me power to understand, wisdom, understanding, knowledge, and therefore I can perceive this. The reckoning of self is important to be able to study Torah. Now let's talk about the other service, which is prayer. Prayer is all about from below to above. Prayer isn't the words of God. Prayer is my words. Prayer isn't about the will of God. Prayer is about my needs, my physical needs. If someone prays spiritually that, oh, I don't want to pray nothing for myself. I want to pray for the other person. You haven't fulfilled the commandment of prayer. The commandment of prayer we said for Maimonides is to ask for your needs. And our needs are physical needs. Thus, it's all about the below talking to the above. From the perspective of the infinite light, 
If you recall, we just opened up the lecture by saying that prayer is changing the will of God, that He, capital H, He who willed me to be sick, may you now will me to be healthy. He who willed me to be in need, may you now will me to be in abundance. So when we talk about that, we're talking about changing the will of God. And as we explained earlier, you can't change the will of God from within the will of God. You've got to connect to the master of the will, which then can change the will. From this understanding, we now know that what are we doing? Above, above. We're talking about as the infinite light can ascend and transcend beyond itself into the master of the will. That's what prayer is all about. On this note, prayer is also about the disintegration of the ego. I've mentioned in the previous class that whenever there is light, fuel needs to be disintegrating. The light of divinity upon us needs to have the disintegration of ego, of self-centeredness, of narcissy. Thus, when I smash that self-reliance, oh, it's okay, God, um, don't worry about me, I'll take care of myself. Why don't you take care of that person who really needs you? Uh-uh, that's bad. So what we need to do is smash that self-reliance. No, I can't take care of myself, God. Every breath that I have comes from you. And when we smash that, and when we change our will, what does it say in Ethics of Our Fathers? In Ethics of Our Fathers, I quote to you, Chapter 2, Mishnah 4. He, Rabbi Gamliel, son of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, he says, and I quote, Make, this, make that his will should be your will, so that he should make your will be his will. Nullify your will before his will, so that he should nullify the will of others before your will. Commentaries on this Mishnah say that when he says nullify the will of others, he's actually referring that God nullify his own will. Out of respect to God, he says others, the will of others. However, we know the Talmud says, the righteous decree and God fulfills. God decrees and the righteous nullify. So the Talmud clearly states that power of changing the will of God. And the only way to change the will of God is by changing your will. If I can disintegrate the I want, I don't want, to what does God want? Then God does the same for us. We connect into the master of the will and the will changes. Okay, so thus we now see that what is the power of prayer is the ascent from below to above. First in man's service of smashing the paradigm of self-reliance, arrogance, and turning to God instead. His nullifying his will for God's will. And secondly, in the infinite light. The above, above, it's that power within the infinite light to transcend itself into its source. So the infinite light is the will of God ascending above, above into the master of the will where the will of God can change. Now we go to the next question, which is higher, Torah study or prayer? Well, let's think about this. On the one hand, Torah study is not my words, it's the words of God. It's not my intellect, my will, my under. It's all about God. So from that point of view, then Torah study is greater than prayer, which is my words, my needs. 
But on the other hand, the power of Torah is only as it is already in the infinite will and descends. While the power of prayer is to transcend the infinite will into the master of will. Thirdly, Torah does not change physically the physical item. When the Torah declared the cow to be kosher and the musk there to be non-kosher, when you look at those two animals, you won't see any difference. While prayer is all about a physical difference, not a spiritual difference in the physical item, i.e. kosher or non-kosher, but a physical difference. The sick become healthy, the poor become rich, the lonely become united. This is a physical change that is physically seen with the eye. So which is greater? It seems to be that each Torah study and prayer each have a virtue one over the other. So we have three different opinions between who is higher, Joseph or Judah, i.e. prayer or Torah study. Judah is prayer, Joseph is Torah study. So let's look at the simple verse. What happens in this week's Torah portion? Judah is coming to Joseph. Joseph is the king. Judah is asking Joseph, be Adoni, please empower me. Who's higher? Joseph, Torah study. Who's lower? Judah, prayer. However, in this week's Torah, which comes from the book of Ezekiel, over there, he says, and you have the entire thing in your, um, in your handout, which you'll find in the link soon. Over there, we have a different concept. And what is that? We talk about how the, the prophet Ezekiel is told, you shall take one branch and write on it, Joseph. You shall take another branch and write on it, Judah. Bring the branches together and make them as one. The same concept of our Torah portion, Judah and Joseph are uniting. However, if you look at the follow-up of that Haftorah, later in, in, in the same chapter 37, verse 24, and I read to you, and my servant David, comes from Judah, shall be king over them, and one shepherd shall be for them all. Hmm. In the Torah portion, Joseph's king, Judah's humbly coming to Joseph. However, in the Haftorah, even after we bring them together, God declares to Ezekiel that Judah, King David, from the house of Judah, he shall be the king. Judah is higher, Joseph is lower. Here's an interesting thing. There's a third opinion, which is the opinion of the Baal Haturim. His name was Rabbi Yaakov, the son of the, uh, the, son of the, of the Holy Rush. Um, he actually uh, wrote upon his father, Rabbi Usher, he wrote upon him an entire book. The son wrote upon the father's writings an entire book of law um, called the Tour. So I want to show you what exactly he says. Do you see the three Hebrew words there? The opening words of our Torah portion by Yigash Elav Yehuda. Now, if you look, you'll see that I underlined the last letters, not the acronyms, but the last letters. The last letter of Vayigash is a Shin. The last letter of Elav is a Vav. The last letter of, uh, um, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Yehuda is a He. Now you take those three letters, Shin, Vav, He, you spell out the word Shaveh. Shaveh in Hebrew means par equal even. So here's the third opinion. Now our sages tell us how this works out. All three opinions are right. 
in the times of exile, when it's impossible to completely smash the self-centeredness. So Judah needs Joseph to empower him. When Joseph empowers Judah, we then have the second opinion. They become Shaveh. However, when Mashiach comes and will be able to truly embody absolute selflessness, then we will see the power of Judah over Joseph, going beyond the infinite light into the master of the will. Okay? Now, so let us now return to that verse. The second, uh, the, the, the opinion of the Balaturim says, Shaveh. How do they become equal? Because Judah asked, humbly asked Joseph, empower me. We also explained before that what is that empower me? The words be Adoni, within me, my Lord, my master. That represents the verse that we said that the sages slipped in between the Shema and the prayer. What verse was that? Chapter 51 from the book of Psalms. I'll read you the verse again. O Lord, you shall open my lips and my mouth will recite your praise. Now, what is going on here? Follow. The virtue of prayer is that I get into the master of the will. However, it's my words, my needs. Torah is only the infinite light, the defined will of God, not the master of the will. However, it is the words of God. Now look what he said. Be Adoni. What does that mean? Oh Lord, you shall open my lips and my mouth will recite your praise. Now what that means is not that I will speak about praises that belong to you. No. What it means is your praise, your words, not my words. Wow. What's happening here is that prayer is now embodying the power of Torah. God, let me not speak my words of praise and my words of needs. Rather, you, let me speak your words. You open my mouth. You put the right words into my mouth for prayer. That's humble. And that's the words of God. Now we have the power of Torah and the power of prayer. Now, let's be practical. What does that mean? You put the words. So I want to just share with you my own little thought. Um, you know, in the, in the day before Yom, uh, Rosh Hashanah, in the Slichot prayers, and in the climax of Yom Kippur prayers, which is the closing prayer of Ne'ilah, we have an interesting prayer. Merubim Tzorche Amcha. Great is the needs of your people. Vedaitom Ktsara. But their knowledge, their power of perception is short. The mind is short. What are we asking God? There's a beautiful story where someone who didn't know how to pray, he only knew how to say the Aleph Bet, the 22 letters of the Hebrew language. And he said with all his heart, all 22 letters. Then he looked up to God and he said, God, I don't know how to make words. Please take these letters and make them into words. There is an interesting Chabad teaching that before you pray, you say, God, I don't know the mystical intentions of these prayers. Please, you fill them in. When we tell God, I don't even know what I need. God, you know what I need. Please, you be the one who put the words into my prayer. That's humble. However, I want to suggest 
that there is a deeper teaching than just telling God, I don't know what I need. Please, you decide what I need. You put the words in my mouth. And that is the follows. And with this, I'll close. On the first day of Rosh Hashanah, we read the Haftorah of the story of Hannah. Once again, in your handout, I put the entire Haftorah there. And it talks about how a man called Elkanah had two wives. One was Penina, who had many children. One was Hannah, who had no children. And she went to the Holy Temple to pray. And she prayed with, with such emotions that Ailey, the high priest, thought she was drunk. She wasn't articulating words. She was just so emotional. And Ailey actually wanted to dis dismiss her from the courtyard of the Holy Temple, saying, don't come here drunk. And she says, I'm not drunk. I'm praying with all my heart for a child. And Ailey realizes, wow, the depths of this prayer. And he, so he blessed her. May your prayers be accepted. Now, I want to, you have in the handout the entire, <clears throat> excuse me, the entire story. But I want to just point out one verse, verse 11. And she vowed a vow and said to Lord of hosts, if you will look upon the affliction of your bondswoman and you will remember me and you will not forget your bondswoman and you will give your bondswoman a man child and I shall give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And then you read on the story and you'll see that as soon as Samuel was two years old, past the nursing stage, Hannah took her only child at the time, brought Samuel to Eli, the high priest, and said, let him move into the holy temple, let him live here, you educate him to be but the servant of God. And uh, that's where Samuel the prophet grew up. He didn't go home. Imagine this, a woman praying for a child, not so that she can have the child in her arms, that she should be able to bring up this child, that this child should be there for her and her elders. No, she's saying, God, please give me a child that I can give him to you. That is a very humble prayer. I want to go ahead and share with you. Practically speaking, when we pray for God, how do we pray? Are we praying that God give us what we need so that we can have a good life? Or are we praying that God give us what we need to be able to fully serve God and our fellow man? In the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, page 87, there's an amazing sentence. Let me read it to you. We are careful never to pray for our own selfish ends. Many of us have wasted a lot of time doing that and it doesn't work. You can easily see why. Huh. You can easily see why. Don't we mostly pray specifically for our own selfish needs? This is why we first need to put in that verse, the Bi Adoni, Oh Lord, you shall open my lips and my mouth will recite your praise. We need to be so humble, not just that we don't rely on self-reliance, but we're able to smash the self-centered needs. It needs to be about God. In the step, 12 steps of addiction recovery, the 11th step reads, I'm reading to you a part of the 11th step, Praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. A humble prayer 
is when all our prayers from any physical needs or beyond is all about and the power to carry your will for me out. That's when we're truly embracing humble prayer. That is when Judah has completely opened up to receive from Joseph so that he may speak the words of God, disintegrating his own will so that he may ascend and connect to the master of the will. And that's where the will changes and physically, physical changes take place. Thank you and have a wonderful Shabbat.